Are you ready to receive something today? So we're going to go to the Word of God this morning, and we continue in the series called Keep Going. All right, keep going, keep going, keep going. We've been digging in the book of Joshua, and I mean, I've hardly scratched the first chapter. So Joshua chapter 1, if you're there, we're going to go back to that. And today's subtitle would be called Divine Enablement. Divine Enablement, a part of our Keep Going series. Joshua was a leader in the Bible who took over after Moses. Moses was an incredible leader, actually the greatest leader in, in, the, in, the, Old, in the Old Testament. Um, uh, in fact, many times uh, in, the, in the New Testament, you'll see there were God, when maybe teachings concerning the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, it always compares Moses with Jesus. He says, this is what Moses did to us, for us, and this is what Jesus did for us, to give us a cool picture. You know, it refers always to Jesus and Moses. The law came through Moses. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses was such a significant leader in the Bible, was such a significant leader, that actually his teachings still are a foundation of not just Christians. Muslims, Jews, all kind of start right there on the teachings of Moses. It's when, when we, as we progress, is when the changes start coming along. So figure that out, and Joshua comes along after a leader of that pedigree. And it's a big, it's big shoes to fill. He'll never in his life become Moses. And the good thing is, God never called him to be Moses. And sometimes I've found that many believers and many people uh, tend to kind of uh, be frozen up. They never really progress to what God has for them because they're always comparing their lives to the calling of another person. God called Moses to be Moses and he called Joshua to be Joshua. He called me to be me, he called you to be you. So you do what God's called you to do. Be faithful in it. Finding his path, God will bless you right where he is. And so God is reassuring Joshua as you come to this book. says, Joshua, you saw how faithful I was with Moses. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. Be a courageous person. I got a plan for your life. You're going to be able to accomplish things that Moses was never able to accomplish. Because I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Isn't it interesting that God made us all so unique? Not interesting, so unique. And that because he has a unique purpose for the time that we have. Moses had died here, and Joshua is coming to lead the people. I want to read that verses 6 through 9. I read part of it last week. But I want to read it maybe from slightly a different version, New King James, 6, um, six um, uh, through 9. It says, Be strong and of good courage, for to these people you shall divide... And uh, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I sought to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law that the Moses, my servant, and commanded you. Do not, turn from the right, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So, um, and then verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Man, how many think that's a good deal? It's like, what have I got to do to make all my ways prosperous and to have good success? It's like, well, let me tell you what you got to do right here. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid. 
We, we, when we're taking the offering, it was all about not being fearful, not being anxious about all this. Don't be afraid. If, you are, if you're faithful to the Lord, if you're serving of the Lord, you know, things will happen in your life. But it says we don't respond in fear. In fear. Or let me put it this way. We don't react in fear. We rather respond in faith. It's like, yep, I see the situation. Yeah, that's the reality. There's a mountain in front of me. Man, I saw those guys in the land that God's saying we should go take him. I looked at them. Man, they're beasts. That's the truth. And we'll get creamed as it is if we try to take him. But nonetheless, he says, no, I realize that, but I know who my God is. There, you know, some people try to ignore the problem. Oh, well, 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 no, 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 don't ignore the problem. Look at the problem, face on as it is. Call it what it is. And then tell the problem who your God is. And all of a sudden, the things that are look so big, in the light of, the, of who God is, all our biggest problems in life become so tiny. And that's the perspective Joshua had. Do not be afraid and dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, wherever you go. So Joshua is a book about destiny. It's a book about progress, a good book uh, about uh, God's people advancing into the promises that God already had for them. You're all smiling because you all have cell phones. Whatever that is. It is? Oh, it's an alarm. So anyway, I had to say it because I know you are thinking it. But anyway, um, uh, it's okay. That happens. It's a book about destiny. And the thing is, we all have destiny. We all have a calling. We all have something that God has put in our lives. And and we never reach our potential. I I can tell you that. I know I haven't reached my potential, but I tell you, you haven't either. Because these guys have come to a point. Think about their lives. The Israelites for 400 years had been living as slaves in Egypt. Generations, so 400 years, you're talking, these are not the guys that came to Egypt. This has just been the way their lives had been. Generation after generation, they're born into slavery. And so they are, they don't know what freedom is, number one. They don't know how to live without someone really domineering over them, having their rights abused, having their dignity abused and all that stuff. And, and, they, and, and the people have never seen anything better than that because these guys were born into it. And so God does in a miraculous way, helps them through the Moses, and he gets them out to freedom. And that alone in itself was a victory. That alone in itself was great. That alone in itself was better than they ever had. But then when they go out and they're free, a new reality kicks in. We don't have anywhere to go. We're wandering ourselves. We don't, like a people without purpose. We don't, we don't have an army that can defend us when we get attacked by our enemies. We don't have an economy that's built up. And so there's a disadvantage altogether in their lives. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness without a sense of direction. Even though God had given them direction, even though God had planned great things for them, they never did see it. They never did achieve it. And really, it's, it's, it's reflective on how we live sometimes. 
where God has the potential. He's already speaking good things for our lives. He's already proclaiming that uh, when I got you out of the world uh, of, of Egypt, when I saved you, when I brought you into the kingdom of God, I wanted to see great things. I wanted a reversal of the things that held you back back then. I wanted to see deliverance in your life. I wanted to set a new example in your life so that now you can start passing on blessing. No, says, I have great things for you. He's speaking into our lives faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So God is speaking faith into them and say, I wish you could see. I wish I could open your eyes. You could open your eyes to see the plans that I have for you. You'll be absolutely blown out. I can't. You'll absolutely be surprised. I'm looking for words now. This is where dual languages becomes a problem. You're looking for one, but it comes better on the other language. You will be absolutely amazed if you are to even see the glimpse of how I think about you, of the thoughts that I have concerning your life. If I show you the big picture and say, this is the ideal life that I want for you. Sister, but, but you know what they happened? They started getting comfortable because they did have some victories in their lives. They got comfortable with the freedom they had, and freedom is good. Thank God for freedom. Isn't it? We're all Americans, right? The land of the free and the home of the. They got comfortable living a good life. It was nothing bad. They had good lives. And they got comfortable. And God says, I had not called you. My plans for you are not for just living a good life. How about a fabulous life? How about a great life? How about a life that keeps on giving, a life that actually shines and people see the, sh- the shining star in you and they, they are compelled to want to seek the God that you serve? How about a light that is radiant, that causes people to be curious about the God you serve because they see things in you? And I'm not talking just materially. You know, sometimes we only look at the measure by material in a materialistic perspective, and that God owns everything. So that's not a big deal to him. But a lot of the richest things in life really have nothing to do with material things. Because you could be very successful materially and still have a really broken life. And you could also be very deficient and poor materially and still have a really rotten life. So it goes on both sides of the spectrum. I think a lot of it has to do, because I, I have met living in Kenya and actually ministering for a couple of years. I ministered in the slums of Nairobi, some of the poorest neighborhoods in Nairobi. And, and, and I mean people that had nothing. I mean, I, I mean you don't even define nothing in, in those stands here. But yet I met some of the most uh, awesome, amazing believers that were so, 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 so um, content, so satisfied, so happy. About what would you look at? How can you be happy with so little? Because it really wasn't that. It was what was happening on the inside. So I could tell you stories like that, one, a whole bunch of them. And so, so it really has nothing to do with materialistic things, even though God owns it all and he wants to bless us even materially because you see it through the plan of the Israelites that he wanted to bless them materially. But here's the thing. Moving into that realm and that dimension of your destiny, of fulfilling 
the purpose for which God called you, it is not about our willpower, our strength, our character, whatever we do. It really doesn't depend on us as much as it does. We all have responsibility, and we'll talk about that. But at the same time, and in fact, most importantly, it really is about God. It is about God doing it. So I'm talking about divine enablement. Because you look, read through what we just read a little bit, and you realize God had already promised these things. God, in his mind, he had already got it done for them. And what were they to do? To walk it through. God's already guaranteed victory for them. God had already guaranteed his promise. His promise, he had given his promise long before these guys ever showed up in the picture. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew what their lives were supposed to be like. Same with us. There are things in your life that God has already decreed what he wants to do. He says, if only, you still think about the language that God says, if only you would do this. If only you would just walk through this. Because it's not going to be, you're not going to achieve it by your own strength, by your own power. Well, for one, you will not get all the credit. In fact, I don't want to achieve it by all my own strength because I want to give credit to God. If I feel my success, my achievement is purely due to my effort, then guess what? I would always look at people, down on people, who don't seem to put out the same kind of effort. There are things in this life that are purely, not because of our effort, sometimes be due to the opportunities that we have. Take it from a guy who's grown up almost half my life in two different countries that are very contrast when it comes to economic uh, progress. And I can tell you this, is that there are times where it's like there are things that we have only because, opportunities we have only because of the country that we were born in. Doesn't give us, any, we're not more, any more intelligent, any more, no, no, no. Take it as that and say, thank God for what I have. Because you could have people putting the same amount of effort with the same amount of intellect and just having different results. So sometimes you could think that and put things into perspective. And this is what the, Lord, this is what I'm, uh, the content of, of what I'm saying here is that God wants to help us in whichever way we have. It doesn't tell us to kind of not do our responsibilities. Man, you got to work hard. In fact, if you're reporting to God as your boss, you got to work harder. When you look at your workers, like, he's my boss, not my boss boss. My boss boss is an underboss, but he truly is my boss. Guess what? I'm going to give him a better, I'm going to give him the, my best. If I love my wife as if I'm accountable to God, I'm going to do my best. And vice versa. If I raise my kids as if they are God's children and he's given me an opportunity for 18, 20 years of my life to, to shape them and to... I'm going to do things a little bit differently if they are his kids and he's just given me the responsibility and he's believed in me that I could, I could, I could accomplish what he, the, he wants to accomplish in their lives. And, you know, it changes how I, I live. And so this is what God's telling the Israelites. is like, I have given you such a promise. Don't get all settled here in living a good life because my plan for your life is not just good. I know we live in Nebraska. It's a good life. But God wants us to live a great lives. Great lives because he is great. Great lives because, because of when he is great, that's reflective on us and it becomes a witness because at the end of the day, God's always looking for ways to, to, to get people to come to Christ because God's thinking about eternity. 
It says that it's not God's will that anyone should perish, but all may come to the knowledge of the Son of God. So how do we do this? How do we do this? I want to draw a couple of things. How do we keep that life and that, um, that has this constant, um, uh, we have this constant um, uh, <clears throat> blessing that flows through our lives where the div- that allows that divine enablement to be possible. Because you see even, and I'm going to read a couple of verses back from what we read, you realize that there were some conditions because God gave us free will. And so there are some principles in the word of God that they will not change. God just wants to encourage us to flow in those principles because there is a corresponding blessing that goes when we walk in those principles. I'll give you really simple examples into every, that pertain to everything in life. So I'm being very general, but that's how principles work. A principle will not change whether we argue or not argue. If someone says, hey, the truth is the truth, whether I believe in truth or not. I get up on this building and decide I'm going to be Superman. I watch a great movie and I was inspired. I try to jump or well, well, when I start quoting the word of God. Well, I will flop. I will flop. And it will hurt and it will hurt a lot. That's just, you can't change it, you know? Satan tried that on Jesus. He says, well, doesn't the word say that he will send his angels to catch you when you fall? Why don't you just jump over the valley and God will send the angels? And Jesus says, are you think I'm stupid? Try that again, you know? And sometimes we do that. It's like, no, 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 the principles still work. And so there are principles in the word of God that when we start establishing and those patterns in our lives, we start seeing fruit. You're not seeking the fruit, but the fruit follows you. So you hear verses in the Bible say things like, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So you see things like that. No, I'm not following those things. I'm not chasing after those things. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm staying true to his word, and these things just become fruit. It's just a byproduct of living such a life. And so but God is giving Joshua some insights. He says, you will get there. You will be successful. In fact, you'll be very successful in everything you do. But if you keep these things in heart. So I, I drew three things from that passage. The first one, we have to stay close to the word. You have to stay close to the word. Look at verse 8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Think about that. Success and prosperity are tied directly to the word. They're tied directly to keeping the principles of the word. So the word prosper here in Joshua, meaning that you will know how to do the right thing. How does that apply in everyday life? There are sometimes you just have to make even a business decision. And there are some decisions that are just about good either way. But you think if God's speaking to your life as he's telling you, there's two ways, they both look good. When it's black and white, it's usually easy. I like that because it's good and that's bad. And sometimes it's very gray. They both seem good. And that's when the insight in knowing God's voice and going knowing God's purpose comes in. Because he knows five steps ahead. He knows ten steps ahead 
We have no idea what's going to happen even this afternoon, but God does. And he says, so, so you walk by faith because you, you don't control anything anyway. Don't be afraid. I got your back, he says. You keep on moving on, keep going. I got your back. I will be with you wherever you go. So it's tied to the word. See, God wants us to be strong and very courageous. And he wants us to, 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 uh, to lay hold of the principles and the pattern and the purity of the word in our lives. And then be, because he says that's when we will start seeing real prosperity. Now, do people, are there people out there that are prosperous or have a lot of money that don't know the Lord? Many of them. Even in Bible times, the Israelites were pagans. And they dominated God's people. So it's, you know, that it's not that equity. Sometimes people have a problem with that. Because God is much broader than that. So that happened before. It happens now. But here's what the Lord says in another verse. This is about the blessing of the Lord. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. That is Proverbs. But it adds no sorrow with it. Because sometimes you can have success and lose behind. I've talked to people. It's like, man... I worked a lot, I worked a lot, I make a lot of money, but I lost my kids in the process. Or I do all these things and I've, I achieved all that, but boy, I lost in my marriage. Maybe you'd have done that before. Maybe you are a victim of that. Maybe your parents did that. God, God wants us to have a well-rounded life that is balanced and it's blessed in every way. He says, as you follow and you walk in the patterns of his life, then our priorities begin to line up. And says, then that's when you begin to see the blessing of the Lord. That is, a blessing comes, but it has no sorrow with it. A friend of mine sent me an email this week. He's a pastor in New Orleans. And I want to read to you a little bit. And because it really striked into what I'm trying to say, convey the, the message I'm trying to convey this morning. And he kind of diagnosed a problem that we, we all are very aware of it. And if this is a reflective of your life, I'm not punching you under the belt. Just, just, just forget that. Just listen to the facts, okay? He says, the average church-going Christian now only attends three out of eight Sundays. And that amounts to about 19 Sundays in a year. He puts in parentheses, no good. And 40% of churchgoers rarely or never open their Bible. And he puts in parentheses, not really, really not good. In a time when, a, um, in the time when convenience seems to be winning over concepts of covenants in much of today's contemporary church, this is enlightening. Words like commitment and service are drifting farther away from the core of our lives. Yes, we are busy. Yes, we have things we must do. But based on my years, I'm sadly prone to believe this and the similar stats. No, this is not a bondage word, but rather a word of priorities. Concentration and ex- is unexpected growth. Since the holidays are now over and the last bid has been thrown, now let us make it a priority to be in God's house. Not just in word, but in action. Let's send the signal that the word is a priority in my life. It's time to get back in the priorities of the word and worship and the gathering together. I thought about that email. It was just so timely because I was just kind of looking over my notes at that time. But when you think about just the part I read first, what are the past, two parts, the two main areas that people receive the word first of all it's in this setting god bless you thanks for coming today how many get encouraged when they hear the word challenges their life uh, encourages them you know so you get the word in church 
And you get the word when you crack the word open and read it. And it says a lot of that's not happening a lot these days. It's happening less and less. So guess what? Believers, it's not because they don't love the Lord or anything, but they're getting less and less fed of the word. And so some of those principles that God is trying to implore and to encourage Joshua's in, they start to slip away. Not intentionally, not like, oh, I want to turn my... Very few people have I met in my life that say, I want to turn my back on God. Believers. But it starts slipping away because God laid out a pattern and he says, if you keep these things consistent in your life, then the word builds upon. Every word that you get, you receive. You get in the word. You get an encouragement. You get with group with other believers. It builds upon and it compounds. And the sum total of your life is what God is saying. Speak here into Joshua. says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate upon it day and night. You shall, you shall, you, you shall think about it. And he says, then you will see your ways prosper. And you will have good success. I'm not debating that some people don't have success. But you want the kind of success that God has. It's a very well-rounded, that's reflective on every area of our lives. Because everything we do, everything we ever desire, everything we ever hope for, every question we ever ask, the Word of God has an answer for everything in life. In fact, it is the answer. So we need to learn the Word. Think of the Word. But it says the Word will not depart from your mouth. It means it tells me that we need to be confessing the Word. We need to be proclaiming the Word. We need to be praying the Word. Because he says that whenever we pray concerning anything that is in His will, the Lord says He will do it. Because if it's not in your mouth, man, in your prayer, you pray back what the Lord said. You said that if my people, so we gather today and say, God, we are your people. That's our identity. We know there are a lot of people out there, but we are your people in our city. We're not the only of God's people. I believe other churches that really believe the Lord's We're your people, and there's a problem in our nation. And you said if we humble ourselves, so God, we humble ourselves. If you said if we seek your face, so God, we seek your face. When you said we pray, so God, we pray. If you said we humble, we do it, Lord. And watch God begin to change things. Watch revival begins to come. Watch things be turning around for good because God's people are acting and are praying and they are confessing the word. You're confronted with a situation at home, at work. What does the word of God say to it? Satan wants to kind of outright take you, but you come back with the promises of God. He says, I'm a child of God. Watch it, Satan. Watch who you're trying here because I'm a child of the king. You Nice try, but you're not going to win because I'm a child of God. I walk by faith and not by sight. I don't care what's going to happen tomorrow i don't worry at all because my father owns it all he knows everything he knows my end before my beginning he knows my walking and my talking he knows my sleeping my waking so i i will just sit down relax and enjoy the presence of god you speak the word of God. You know the promises of God. Man, I'm not feeling good today, but the Lord says he's my healer. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He said in his life that I will bless your bread and water, and I will take every sickness from among you. Pray that over your kids. Say, God, you said that you will bless our water, our water and our bread, and you will take every sickness from my house, and so we refuse. Sickness is not a portion of my house, because we are healed in jesus name speak the word of god speak the word of god over your situation speak the word of god over your finances i've been broke these days but i know that my god is my jehovah jireh and when i call on him when i am faithful to him he says he will watch it over me he will open the windows of heaven for me he will pour out a blessing so great that we'll have no room enough to contain it that's my god people so satan try another one try another one let's see you go by the word jesus was tested 
Several times Satan wanted to take him down. And what did Jesus keep coming back to? The word. The example I gave you earlier says, oh, jump, jump, jump. Son of God, jump, jump. He's kind of torments Jesus. He knows he's hungry. He says, jump. See, didn't God say he will send his angels to catch you when you fall? Huh? Didn't he say that? Just go ahead and jump, jump, jump. Jesus, jump. Jesus says, hey, hey, hey. The Bible says, you shall not test the Lord your God. Get out of here, Satan. He comes back. He doesn't quit. He's relentless. So you think you want about it. You think Satan will leave you alone. He'll keep on trying. So he tries again. He says, oh, well, you're a little hungry right now. No McDonald's around here. Oh, where, where we go? Your God says, uh, take, the, take the stone. Take the stone. Just turn it into bread and eat it. Well, he knows when he's hungry. We start talking about food. He might tempt him a little bit. And what did Jesus respond? The word. The Bible says, the man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And third time Satan tries again. And Satan, Jesus comes back with the word, you shall worship the Lord your God only. Only him shall you worship. And says, get ye behind me, Satan. And he departed. So you get tested once you win. You think Satan's going to go and think, oh, God left me. He didn't leave you. He wants you to exercise your faith by proclaiming the word of God over your situation. That's the kind of life that kind of soul brings up a well-rounded blessing because God's already designed. He's already laid the path for victory and prosperity for your life. So we just have to walk in it and trust him at his work. So he's reminding Joshua. The second thing he is saying, and number two, is that we need to value his presence. Value his presence. Joshua 1.9 says, don't be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord of God is with you wherever you go. What does that speak of? It speaks of the Lord's presence. When the Lord's with you, it talks about the Lord's presence. Now the Lord, he's already promised his presence. Now let me tell you this. There are times in my life I don't feel his presence another time. I don't know if that's the same with you. Maybe you feel his presence constantly. God bless you. Come pray for the rest of us. But there are times... We don't feel his presence. But the word teaches us on things that we can do in our lives that cultivate the awareness of his presence. He says, I promise to never leave you, to never forsake you. When you walk through the valley, I'll be with you. I will not be afraid, Psalm is saying 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be fear. Why? Because the Lord's with me. It's his presence. When we get aware of his presence, we used to sing that it's him, long time ago, that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So what, what happens? It's not that God changed. It's something within our own spirit that changes and recognizes that I am in the presence of the Lord. And then things change. Worship cultivates that awareness. When we come here and sing and dance and worship, it's not, we're not making up stuff. There are things in the Bible that gets us to Forget everything that's going on this week. This is God's time. I really value that time. I'm not talking in the lobby when those guys go in there. I could be doing, I could be taking care of eight kids and making sure, but I make sure they're in there early so that in that time I want to value his presence. Because I do value his presence. You know, sometimes as parents, there's always funny things. The kids come up at home, they kind of trash a room. And you come back, it's like, did we have like a tornado here or something? And then you're like, clean up the room. You're not doing anything fun until this room is clean. How many have ever done that? 
way too many times. And then you go, you come back, and you watch them, and they're just goofing off kids being kids. And the moment they see dad, they start picking up the thing that they've been holding for 20 minutes. What happened? There was an awareness of the father's presence, and it changed, it altered their behavior. And when we live with that awareness of his presence, I mean, there's that time. That glade in the office that drives you crazy. You're just about to let it off and give him a piece of your mind. And you're aware of the Lord's presence. And you start walking back and says, the peace of God that passes knowledge. You're about to tell them as it is. But the Lord's presence comes over your life and he alters your behavior. Some of you have crossed the line and done things that you're like, man, I wish I could take that back because if I could take that back, it'd be really nice, but I blew it. How many have been there? Been there. So when we value the Lord's presence, you know what happens? Is that more of those moments happen in our lives and it results in good judgment, in regards in making behavior that is not re- regrettable. You're in the tank but man, I just dodged a bullet. I dodged way too many bullets in my life. I said, God, that was not me. Thank you. You showed up and you snatched me out of fire because I was jumping into it knowingly. But your presence brought conviction in my life. And I walked back and I said, thank you, God. I dodged a bullet because my own stupid self would have dived into it. And I've messed my life. The consequences were too great for me to hold. But you protected me awareness this value his presence and those things in our lives that increases our sensitivity to his presence like worship we need to value them in our lives get yourself in the house of the lord a lot that's what david says i will dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life why because he gets my heart more sensitive to his presence and when i'm aware of his presence not only does he bless my work he also helps me make good judgment In times where I could have made stupid mistakes, he protects me. David was an interesting guy. And when I close with this, I was going to give you three things, but I'll do another one some other time. How many already received something? You don't need the third thing. So as I close, David. (laughs) David was a guy who understood the presence of the Lord. He was a very unique guy in the Old Testament because David was kind of a royal priesthood kind of guy. He had some of the benefits and the blessings of the New Testament, yet he lived in the Old Testament, which is very unique. He was a king of Israel, but yet he was a prophet at the same time. Because sometimes you always have prophets and kings, and kings will go to prophets to hear the word of the Lord. So it's like, hey, what's the Lord saying? Am I doing all right? You know, and some of them did not like what the prophet said, and they killed him. Because they was like, Could you, you know. But David was, had both. And the thing that actually was reflective of David's life is that he valued the presence of God. And how did David learn the presence? How, how did he uh, and learn that treasure of his presence? When he was a little kid, he was always watching sheep for his parents. Out alone in his, I don't know what he had, uh, electric guitar or whatever it is. They didn't have electricity back then. I'm just making it all up. But he was always singing and worshiping God. Nobody knew what this kiddo was doing. Even when his father was, uh, when the uh, prophet um, uh, came to look for 
the next king, to anoint the next king. His dad didn't even think. He got all his big brothers out. says, hey, bro, could you pray for... And the prophet says, it's none of this. Don't you have any other kids around? Oh, yeah, you know, there's a scrawny little kid called David. I didn't think he is fit to be a king. So he was small. He was insignificant in many people's eyes. But yet, people didn't know that. But God knew that David was a worshiper. The only person that knew how great David was, not in the outside, but on the inside. He was a spiritual giant because he valued the Lord's presence. And God knew those. See, God knows those things that are done, those prayers in the night, those moments of getting away. Not that the things that are advertised that every people say, hey, I love what a great Christian you are. You inspire me. No, no. The things that it's just you and God and valuing his presence. He knows those things. Because God's not for sure. He knows our hearts. And that's where, when we start to treasure his presence, so the benefit. So David's not working at this. He's not looking, man, I'd like to be a king here. How come nobody ever looked at me? They always passed me by. Well, God went looking for him. It's like, I know you. I've seen how you do it. I know that you value my presence. And that's how he becomes a good king. And I would want to expound on just a little thought, and I will stop here because I do believe how many have already received something from God today that's challenging or encouraging your life. Amen? So why don't you stand with me right now? We're going to pray. We'll stop right there. We have a whole year.